knowing that she was dying, knowing that she was in pain, just knowing that there was absolutely nothing that I could do or anybody else could do to stop that from happening. I was in my art journal every day, twice a day, scribbling, stabbing the page, tearing the pages, writing letters to my mum, layering all of that together sometimes, writing things to my mum that I hadn't told her, pre-grieving actually in a way. I wrote a lot of poetry to my mum at that time. That was an essential solace for me, having that book available to me or that place to express. And again, because it's that private place, nobody really did ever have to see it. I would literally shut it and that's, okay, now I can carry on with, now I'll bring my coping strategies back online. You know, I'll get on with my day. But for that period of time, I could go inside that book and express. You're listening to Interested with Donna Edda, a show that brings you ideas for wellness. Our guest today is a down-to-earth and wise human. After studying art and expressive art at Exeter University in the UK, she became an artist, art educator, and art therapist. She would probably have stayed in the UK if it hadn't been for her insatiable appetite to see the world. That brought Katie Flowers to Hong Kong, where she landed a teaching position at Yu Chung International School. Now fast forward 29 years and she has become a community voice in art education and therapy. Her goal is to make art accessible to everyone. She believes passionately that art is first and foremost the primal language of communication for all humans. Over the years, Katie's work has stemmed from her desire to reconnect people with an innate creative force through her workshops and classes that include everything from lunchtime doodling, evening mandala classes to personalized art journaling circles. She taps into art in all its wondrous forms and has along the way helped people restore their emotional equilibrium, recognize self-care, manage stress and anxiety, and achieve a better work-life balance. Today, you will find her at Wild at Art, her very own art studio in central Hong Kong, where she works alongside adults and children to create all kinds of artistic magic. Without further ado, I'm very happy to share my conversation with Katie Flowers. Art making is the language that developed for all of us uh, in our very, very tiny years. When we began to make marks on a page and we began to draw and create images that were telling the stories that were going on inside our head, helping us to understand the world, make sense of the world, and to augment and grow the imaginal realm that's happening all around us. And so communicating through drawing, in a way, came before anything like writing, which is obviously why a lot of written languages grow out of pictograms, because expressing and describing the world in little pictures is... It's like just an innate drive that is in all of us, right from the good old cave painters all those years ago, right up to children in this day and age, drawing today, every single day. And sadly, that language ends up being overlaid as we learn to write, and writing becomes such a common currency and what we need to be kind of focusing on in school and how we form letters and how we create text and then we grow older and that 
turns into how we communicate through our devices, um, which takes us even further away from the hands-on experience of art making. And so in a way, we grow this distance from the process. And not only that, we often become a, a very normal developmental drawing stage during the kind of upper primary years would be that we start to start to compare our images with our friends' images. Yes, that's a big problem. And that kind of comparison monster can can uh, loom up at that in those years. And those that can be the period of time when we start to become very self-judging and and sort of slide our art to the side because we think we're not good enough or we think that we can't create an image that is a photorealistic image or it doesn't meet our own personal expectations. And I I just meet people all the time that talk about this kind of wound that happened to them. Oh, I, I haven't made art since I was eight years old and I can't even draw a straight line is a common thing people will say or oh I had a, um, a terrible art teacher you know and I, it never got developed or, or somebody actually said to me two weeks ago well my art teacher just told me I was rubbish you know and told me I wasn't any good which maybe that isn't what the art teacher said but that's the impression that the person came away with that what they were creating isn't good enough. And it's so deeply personal. It's our inner river of, of, um, of what's going on inside, if you like. And for somebody to judge it, if you like, is, for, is, is just the most tragic thing that you can do and such a, such a way to shut people down. So what happens when that distance becomes bigger and bigger? People have the emerging belief that I'm no good at art And the second thing that goes along with that is that art is the province of specialized people that are artists with a capital A. And, um, you know, those two things, they shut down a channel of communication that is available to us that we're no longer using. And so when we're operating in our kind of linear mind and we're using we're using uh, writing or we're using our computer. We're operating from our cognitive brain. But when we allow ourselves to drop back again into creating through our art, we're tapping into the, a much deeper place. You know, we're dropping down into the bottom part of the iceberg that's under the water, if you like. We're finding all the things that cognitive brain has forgotten about. I was sitting with my daughter and her friend, and I asked them the other day, what is your favorite subject? And my daughter's like, oh, art is my favorite subject. And then her friend looked at her and said, that's not a real subject. What's your favorite real subject? <gasps> and we just looked at each other. Yeah. Right at that age already, they're yeah. already thinking, well, art is not a subject when you're saying that it is so crucial yes. for that connection. What I feel the role that I play most commonly is really helping people to dial back the clock, if you like, and reconnect with the self that was last art making in, you know, whether it be childhood or, or whenever it was, whatever that moment was. And people are... People have this very sort of strong, powerful reaction to that reconnection. 
a sort of a gratitude and a disbelief and, a, you know, really a, a joy for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, I'm going to want to expand on that a bit later on in the conversation. First, can you explain to us what is art therapy? Well, so art therapy sounds like one thing, but really it's an um, umbrella term for what I like to call uh, a continuum of processes. And if we were in my studio now, I would be showing you a very long piece of paper with um, different things at each end. So I'm going to try and describe it. I so, might actually need to go to your studio and get that footage then. <laughs> yes. So uh, the, the kind of one of the things that art therapy can be is that we're creating any kind of art whatsoever and that is a feel-good experience. So the kind of self-efficacy of creating a beautiful watercolour painting or creating a little cartoon that you like, creating anything that gives you joy. That's the sort of first touch point I would, I would connect with on that. So the therapeutic value of art for its own making value and for its own kind of joy that it gives you at the end. And then we can tap into um, ways that we make art for kind of calming ourselves down or self-soothing. So do you doodle ever? Yes. Uh-huh. I love doodling. Yeah. When, when do you doodle? I doodle when I'm stuck. Yeah. And have you noticed that other people also doodle if they're on the phone or in a meeting or kind of something else is talking. happening in the background or we're talking and the hand is automatically moving and little familiar shapes and motifs are coming out or emerging on the page. Yes. This kind of background doodling that we engage in is, is very, we, in art therapy we call it self-regulation. It's a way to anchor your attention, keep you in the present moment, uh, take you away a little bit from following monkey mind Anchoring yourself on the page is a bit like anchoring your attention. And you, you can follow what you're listening to more easily. And secondly, what you just said was that you doodle for yourself when you are stuck. How do you think that's helping you? It takes me out of my head. I, I just enjoy not thinking. Yeah, exactly. So that's the great gift of this kind of repetitive mark making that we can engage in, that it stops us having to follow the train of, of I call it monkey mind, you know, sort of thoughts that are running through our head. So I run lunchtime doodle classes and I run uh, evening mandala classes. And, the, and, and people attend for, for all of those reasons, so that they can literally take time out it is a time out. And so, for example, yesterday, the American elections, yes. I had um, quite a large group of people that came to the doodling class. And when they arrived, you know, lots of them were very agitated. And they said, I've been on my phone all morning. This is driving me mad. You know, I I'm, I'm, don't know what to do with myself. And I hope this is going to calm me down. And I would honestly say that for the most part of that particular session, we followed color, we followed line, we um, just melted into this doodle brief, probably in silence for mm. almost an hour and a half. Nobody really felt the need to talk until the end. And there was a very, very different atmosphere. 
when people left the room. So that's just a concrete example of how we can... That's a therapeutic art yeah. experience. So this. art therapy can, is to do things that gives you joy. It anchors us. Mm. And what else does it do? Well, so if we imagine ourselves back as a child when we were using our art to tell our stories, that's exactly what we can use our art to mm. do now. So, for example, one of, the, one of the ways that I was led into art therapy, I suppose, or my, was a very big part of my journey towards art therapy, was my personal art journaling process, which means that um, it's a bit like a diary, except it isn't full of those sort of what, cringy pages of personal writing that I was filling my diaries with as a teenager. It, it, these pages are filled with everything that's happened to me during the day. So I sometimes call my art journals they're like a kind of residuum. They're, residu they're the residual fragments of my day. And it might be something that's happened outside of me. So it might be a ticket if I went to um, a museum, let's say, or it might be a sketch of something happening outside of me. But likely it might be just using color on the page, scribbles on the page. I use an awful lot of collage on the page. And using art materials, mixed media art materials in a way to just process my day. And I don't always know what I want to say at the beginning. And I definitely don't always know what it was that I said at the end. But I've externalized something. And having done that, I can have a conversation with it. And I can dialogue with what I've created if I want to that day or even next week or next year. And it's in a book. It's private. Nobody has to see it unless I choose to open the book. And it doesn't have to hang on the wall. So it can be a mess. You know, it, it doesn't have to be yeah. anything special. Um, and... I've experimented with art journaling for years and years and years and have shelves full of these books. And several years ago, I invited people to come and join this process with me and have been absolutely sort of amazed at how other people are also so willing to jump into this because that's the reconnection with the self. Mm. Once you start creating in a way that isn't for show or isn't um, going to be judged. It's just for yourself. And then you begin that self-dialogue. And I, I often call this work listening inside or, or finding your voice, you know, finding the voice that you might not have had access to for a long time. And uh, what does that dialogue look like? I'm just reflecting on... Uh, the Monday night art journaling that I do. And a couple of weeks ago, we were doing some work on archetypes. And somebody had, had created an image that was this uh, very gray page with a very gray, sort of depressed person in the middle of the page, smoking a cigarette and the smoke took up most of the page and there was a very sad little dog collaged into the corner. And this person sat with this picture and really described it as 
a painful journey that she'd been having with her son's depression mm. and that uh, she weed was his solace and that was you know she wanted to record that and she didn't feel good about it and and then the following week she actually came back and and said that's not about my son this picture is about me this is where I am and she went on to describe a different personal relationship and a narrative because she'd sat with that for the week wow. and she'd brought it back and she, th this particular person is, some, you know, somebody who probably in the whole year that she's been coming to Wild Art to journal, her life has changed. And she's definitely somebody that would say her life transition has come about by being able to find her own voice through the art making that she's been engaged in, the art journaling. Right. Yeah. So that dialogue is learning more about yourself, it's that self-reflection. Yes, and it's, it's, it's learning what you don't know. You know, we think we know ourselves so well. We think we're experts, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's the self we know, and there's this giant piece of self that we don't know yet or that we don't know well enough. And I always think of the um, iceberg analogy of our cognitive mind can access this little part of the iceberg above the water and then this huge piece underneath that contains everything we've ever smelt, everything we've ever dreamt or thought about, or every film we've watched, story we've read, conversation we've had, uh, moment that we've seen, you know, numinous moment, whatever. All of that is there but it isn't necessarily available to us. And often we access that, those deep parts through our dreams mm. um, and other ways that we can access those deep parts uh, is, is through creative art making, whether it, you know, either guided art making with a, an expert, if you like, or in the way that I've just described through art journaling. And then the last... Um, piece that I was going to add into the art therapy question is really the one-on-one -on -one encounter where somebody will come to me uh, with an issue and we work together in a sort of psychodynamic relationship it's completely confidential and we use the art making to as a, a, a vehicle if you like into investigating what is going on for that person. What can often happen is that somebody will, and this, and this probably happens in all therapeutic uh, encounters, that people will arrive with the, the problem or issue that they know about or they want to tell you about on day one, if you like. And over time and through the journey uh, and through through creating art and the guided conversations that we have, other aspects get revealed and the journey might take a completely different swerve. I loved your iceberg analogy and, you know, how much of ourselves do we know? And sometimes I think we don't know ourselves at all. The person that we know is actually what the world sees us as, but not who we truly are. And I think you can't hide that when you're creating art, unless you can unless you really want to fake it. 
Well, I think that's an interesting point that you make. We can't hide it. It's And it, it happens to me and it happens to other people in art workshops around me all the time that somebody will create something and, and might say, I don't know what, I'm not sure what this is about. I, yeah, I just don't know. And then given the time and guided questions and the space, those insights emerge. Your art is your mirror, whether you like it or not. And you, mirrors don't lie on the, <laughs> for the most part. And whatever you put out on the page is a reflection of you. It, it's reflecting back to you yeah. if you give yourself the gift of investigation. I want to explore the idea on how art therapy can can help us distress. But before we answer that question, what does anxiety look like? Crumbs. I mean, you've only got to look at Facebook to see what anxiety looks like. I <laughs> mean, over the last couple of years in Hong Kong, anxiety is has been everybody's province, if you like. Anxieties when we're living with uncertainty, we don't feel in control, and our thoughts are running at 100 miles an hour into the what-ifs, into the catastrophizing, into what shall I do, who am I? You know, it can be existential, it can be situational and circumstantial, and it can be, it's definitely in Hong Kong, it's been in reaction to a lot of unrest, and certainly in the world it's been in reaction to such enormous uh, uncertainty around COVID. I think what anxiety looks like is, is different for everybody, but I've certainly observed this trend, if you like, of... Initial catastrophizing. Oh my God, I'm leaving Hong Kong. Let's, how do we get out of here? How, how do I do this? How do I do that? Who's leaving? Who's going? Who's staying? You know, these, the what ifs and the real panic questions. And the constant rumination, the ruminating thoughts. There's no rationale to that. You know, we've really lost the ability to say, okay, let's sit down. Let's take a breath. What can I control? What can I not control? You know, we've really lost that ability when we're very, very anxious. So how can art therapy help us? Well, it's a little bit touching back to what you described earlier when you explained that you like to doodle when you're stuck. And you said that enables you to take a pause on following your thoughts. So initially, calming people down through art making whether it be doodling whether it be through the uh, repetitive mark making of mandalas whether it be through calming watercolors whatever the medium is anchoring helps us for that period of time take a time out from our ruminating thoughts and if we start to do that more regularly then we can feel what it's like not to follow those thoughts. And so that can be a feeling we want to access more. And it also allows us to just give our hearts and minds a break when we can take a breath in that way, when we can regulate the mind and become grounded and become centered through that process. 
Then we can kind of take a breath, roll up our sleeves, start again. Where was I now? What do I actually need? I really love that approach of anchoring. Just hearing that makes me feel safe and makes me feel comfortable, you know, and, and having that sense of anchoring gives me comfort. You know, and just tapping into the world safe. You know, another thing that we might do in, in our art is I use a lot of what is called um, a focusing approach, which is really I begin many sessions and certainly all individual sessions with um, focusing the mind and sensing what is actually happening in the body for us. And by looking into the body and bringing that out onto the page in what I would call a body scan or a body illustration, then allows us to make visible the sensations that we're feeling inside. And once we can make them visible, then we can describe them. And when we can describe them, we can explore them. And then we can find out what they mean. And then we can also develop a habit of, um, if you like, knowing ourselves through the colors and the marks that we make, that we find inside. And that's another way that knowing ourselves in that way can bring us back, if you like, to the self. Wow. That sounds like a really beautiful process. And again, when you use the word safe, perhaps you might be in a class with me and we might talk about, we might go inside, we might focus, we might illustrate the feelings that we're having inside and we might choose something to focus on. Let's create a place of safety. Let's actually, I wonder what that looks like. I, I definitely find myself using the phrase, I wonder, a lot. I wonder what that looks like. I wonder what that looks like for you. I wonder what color it is. I wonder what it smells like. I wonder what you can hear. I wonder what you can see if you look up. I wonder what you can see if you look down. Let's see if we can illustrate that. Let's see if we can put that on the page and find out more. And that's the beginning of giving ourselves tools really another tool to look at and to be with you know through creating let's say our safe place that becomes something we can visualize and we we might create a little version of it and we might tuck it into our phone case or our purse so that when things are feeling a bit overwhelming maybe you get out your safe place and you sit with that and give your give yourself an opportunity to to communicate with that or to be with that and to bring yourself back to a place of safety. Well, that's really helpful. And that safe place is relevant to the individual that created it. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. And it might change over time. The safe place you create this year, this month, might be different to the safe place you create next year. It's about what you need in the moment. If art therapy can help us explore our own stories, can you share a moment or a story of yourself or some or a student that you have come across that have experienced strong emotions, whatever that might be, and I would love for you to expand on that and how that has helped them learn about themselves? The strong emotions of dealing with... Um, 
my mum's cancer, I think, in my life. Knowing that she was dying, knowing that she was in pain, and just knowing that there was absolutely nothing that I could do or anybody else could do to stop that from happening. I would say I, I, was, I was in my art journal every day, twice a day, and scribbling, stabbing the page, tearing the pages, writing letters to my mum, layering all of that together sometimes, um, writing things to my mum that I hadn't told her, pre-grieving actually in a way. Um, I wrote a lot of poetry to my mum at that time. That was an essential solace for me, having that book available to me or that place to express. Definitely, yeah. And, and, and again, because it's that private place, nobody really did ever have to see it. I would literally shut it and that's... Okay, now I can carry on with... Now, I'm, now I'll bring my coping strategies back online. You know, I'll get on with my day. But for that period of time, I could go inside that book and express. What did you discover about yourself during that process? That making these visual images were, are a critical conduit, if you like, to um, externalize my feelings. And that that's a survival mechanism for me. What do you mean by survival mechanism? Well, I think if we don't know where to put strong emotions, we can suppress them, we can push them down, which is very common, mm. especially in high-functioning societies such as in Hong Kong where people hold down very responsible, high-pressure jobs. There's a lot of the pushing down or there's a lot of numbing if you like, we might, uh, you know, do a lot of drinking or a lot of um, other addictive habits. Or we might explode. You know, we might go crazy and uh, release those feelings in destructive ways. So I suppose the survival piece is about I felt I had somewhere to put difficult feelings, yeah, strong, difficult feelings. In our previous conversations, you've mentioned that art making as an adult is all about reconnection to yourself. Sometimes we don't even recognize the art that we create. Have you ever created something that you don't recognize? Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you share one with us? Well, it's funny, I, I um, often use this process which really a sort of an intuitive collage process and sometimes that's just take a magazine give yourself let's say time limit of 30 minutes go through that magazine and you're going to pull out five images without or, or pull out a bunch of images that call you and the images are calling you you tear them out you put them aside, you put them in a stack. And then at the end of 30 minutes, you move the magazine out of the way, you get your images, and then you construct a visual using those on the page. Cut them and glue them down in a way that you feel they relate to each other. Now, you don't have to know in advance 
why anything has to be placed anywhere on the page. And you don't have to know um, where you're going with it. But then at the end of that process, you can sit with that image and ask if the question, if you like, what is your message for me today? And allow that image to speak back to you. And that's a point where you might journal as the image replies. And then sometimes I've looked at the collage and I've read the journaling beside it and really wondered enormously, where did that even come from? Where did, where was that before? <laughs> you know, yeah. Where did that live? And yet here it is. And that's the story and the message from the guide that I needed to hear for today. I might not like it, but that's what I needed to know today. And I must confess, as I was researching on your work and your website, I was looking at some of the art. And, you know, like the first thing was the critical mind thinking, is this beautiful? And what you do has nothing to do with the final outcome. It's about the process. I think a lot of people might not understand how crucial mm. that is. And mm. we just stop at the top layer. Oh my gosh, so true. You know, the hardest conversation that people have with themselves is with their inner critic and with their judging mind. That linear side of the brain, that kind of critical, analytical side and a big part of anybody's art journey is working on quietening that and asking intuitive mind and trying to move that judging mind aside you know it's like a sort of a, a tug of war that can happen for people and as you say when we and, and again I would also probably say the context in which we are, are making art defines, if you like, what our expectations are. So if we're going to sign up for a, a watercolor painting class where we're going to learn a particular process and how to create a specific item or image, we want, we want a feel-good experience, and at the end of it, we want to feel good about what we've made and created. And learning how to do that is, is really deeply satisfying. You know, learning a technique that you can master is fantastic. So that context is about, if you like, creating something specifically to feel good about the end product. Um, the kind of expressive art, I suppose that's what we should call it, expressive art that I'm talking about is a different way to create. Uh, it's the way to create where we're really tapping into our voice and what happens on the page is irrelevant you know what what's important is where we go with what we're doing and what it says to us what the messages are what the stories are what the insights are can you expand on the concept of the intuitive mind how do we access it it's building trust in ourselves and learning that Whilst we do need signposts and we do need goals at certain points in our life, actually, 
what happens if we don't have those things? In fact, funny you would say that, this week my journaling theme was um, was all about being in the sea of not knowing. How's that going to feel? Let's create the sea of not knowing. And um, there are people that come into the, gro- into the room some really not knowing, you know, what they've signed up for or, or um, what we're going to do tonight, and it really doesn't matter. There's a lot of trust. And there are other people that will walk into the room going, right, what are we going to do today? What am I going to make? Which book shall I use? What do I need? Um, and so you can already hear that the approach, you know, different, different people are going to a, a, have a different approach. And gradually just being helped and encouraged to surrender to trust and let's see what happens if we don't know let's see what let's see how you know how how does not knowing feel and of course the not knowing is what makes us anxious that's what leads to anxiety so so being comfortable with not knowing finding ways to become comfortable with not knowing and if you can start that in your art making and apply that into something where your head and hands and heart are engaged in the whole thing, you can start applying that into other areas of your life. It becomes a transferable skill, if you like. Definitely. I mean, nothing is permanent, right? So get used to being comfortable with the unknown. Yeah. I want to ask, how, how does creativity lead to a change in behavior or growth even? Again, would depend on the context. But I think providing people with opportunities to access their own creativity is a deeply empowering process. You know, sometimes when you're in a school and you're the art teacher, children say things like, I love you, or they, they want to hold on to you, or they say, I love you, you're my art teacher, I love you. What they really mean is, and adults the same, what they really mean is, I love what this process is giving me. This is an amazing process for me. And I see adults in the same way. Oh, Katie, I love coming to your studio. I love being in here. This is my happy place. This is like, you're so amazing. And it isn't that at all. It's, it's that, well, yeah, you know. <laughs> yes, you are amazing. But that, I believe that what it is is that people are so thrilled to discover this, these um, aspects of themselves that they didn't realize were there. You know, they've woken up these ways to create something that didn't exist in the world five minutes ago. Yeah, that they've been able to access the kind of uh, divergent thinking that might have been needed in their art making to life situations outside the art room, you know, into everyday life. Um, I always think that one of the most critical pieces of being a creative or, or being a an artistic person, if you like, is problem solving. It's a willingness to to sort of come to something and think, I want to say it, how am I going to say it? And finding the materials or colors to say that. Or thinking, I want to make this, but I don't know how I'm going to do that. How shall I do that? How shall I make that work? How can I devise this? How can I devise that? That's what creativity is. Finding ways to um, expand the thought processes beyond the routine of what we do every day. Through your teachings and your art workshops, what has been the biggest surprise 
that you have experienced or you've seen your students experience? Look what I've just made. <laughs> that would be it. People's just deep joy and amazement. Even if I just think back to the yesterday evening, the three people who were making um, these particular mandala canvases, at the end of the evening, they would they were so thrilled with, I didn't know I could make this. You know, look at this. I didn't think, I, this has only taken me three sessions. You know, this wonderful joy alongside surprise. Let's put it that way. I mean, obviously, there are other surprises when people are in a different headspace and we're in a different, maybe a one-on-one -on -one setting, and the surprise might be a very deeply um, moving insight Art is definitely an important tool. And I remember you saying, you know, it's so great. Art is grateful when words just can't express it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And through therapy, we can find joy. We can anchor ourselves. We can tell our stories and weave them all together. And it's such a beautiful process. In moving forward with your work, what are you hoping to achieve? is reaching people that wouldn't normally think that art was on their radar and reaching people who, who probably really have a, a deep need to express. Unlikely demographics. I mean, I could name lots of those, probably lots of, lots of males in very high-level professional jobs. That, that probably are a million miles away from the art making they did as a child and probably think art therapy is a colouring book and a packet of crayons or something that their children do, um, but, are also, but are struggling day to day with all the issues that we've touched on, like overstress, burnout, anxiety, um, overwhelm, identity crisis, addiction multiple addictions depression relying on medication numbing in different ways i think i think reaching reaching those demographics yeah would be powerful way forwards for me what is the book that you have gifted the most or has made a big impression on you Oh, I, I would have to say um, Art is a Way of Knowing by Pat Allen. It's, um, it's a book I read when I was an art teacher before I was an art therapist, and I, I, f I had that I love you feeling about the author because I felt she could read my mind. And if you are someone that's curious about all the answers to the questions you've been asking today, Donna, this book were really uh, opens up and, and really articulately explains how art is this powerful primary way of knowing and learning and being. What has been the best lesson that your mum or your dad taught you? Oh, I feel there are so many. Best lesson. I... Maybe could I say gifts, best gifts? Sure. <laughs> um, I think my dad's best gift was 
very profound and yet so simple. And that is just, he was a gardener and he helped me nurture the kind of fine focused attention, if you like, that I think is something that we all lack in this day and age. The fine focused attention to notice what's happening around us, what's happening in nature, the, the tiny, small, sacred moments is the gift my dad gave me. And my mom, her gift is the, the numinous, the sort of, my mom was a poet and a cathedral guide, so she really appreciated um, the magic of poetry, the magic of, of incredible buildings and sacred places on a kind of the other end of the spectrum, a large and grand scale. So maybe, maybe the commonality is sacredness in life, yeah. And what is your idea of wellness? I think it's the weave, if you like, of um, feeling good uh, on every level, the emotion, emotional wellness, physical wellness, um, mental, mental health, for sure. And the weave of all of those happening together, how they all hold hands inside of you, that's... That's my idea of wellness. Fantastic. And I would like to talk about Wild at Art. Tell us about your studio and the work that you do. My studio is in Soho. I work with um, groups of individuals that have signed up to come and attend uh, various workshops that I offer. And I offer workshops that very much focus on this concept of de-stressing and taking time out and mindfulness, very much about mindful art making. So I run a monthly mandala group, which is really a, a very beautiful process. We make something different every single month and we use the energies and cycles and seasons of the earth to inform our practice. I run a weekly de-stress doodle group at Wednesday lunchtimes um, that's a kind of a short, sharp drop-in, if you like, which, as I say, allows a very beautiful time out. I have a lot of feel-good Saturday workshops, which are offered by myself and various other art facilitators. Um, this particular Saturday is my I Love Hong Kong collage workshop, where we write a start with a love letter to our beautiful city, mm. and we create a kind of a homage physical homage to that um, the newest workshop I've got coming up is the one called calling all sage women yes please tell us about that. yeah well as I am a woman of uh, a certain age and my what I'd like to call purple years that means um, I, I'm a proud owner of my very first senior senior entrance ticket in Hong Kong I'm very much um, a big exponent of positive aging And helping people to, uh, helping people my age above and below, you know, below, you can be a sage woman at any age, honestly and truly, but help, helping people to feel and tr feel into and treasure the great wealth of stories that we have inside of ourselves and that we've experienced through our lives. So perceiving ourselves as the wise elders that we actually really are 
and um, using our art making to create a little um, physical representation of ourselves at all these different stages of our lives and where we find ourselves now. Telling and sharing stories and treasuring those. So do come and be a sage woman. But I even love the idea of, you know, being the wise women that you already are. I'm constantly looking for wise women that is before me so mm. I can learn their lessons. Yeah. And then I will hold the space yeah. and teach to those who come after me. Mm. But this is what I'm searching for. I'm looking for this guidance and mentorship in, a, in an organic way. Yeah. And, and isn't that true of a lot of us all, at all different times of our lives? I mean, I feel the same, honestly and truly. And I think that, uh, yes, somebody was telling me a story this week of how she's 59 years old and was told by her employer that she couldn't go for a particular position uh, at her place of work because she was just too old. And this is someone that, well, it's a 59-year-old, but it's somebody that has enriched this organization beyond compare, you know, and mm. gifted this organization with her talents, energy, experience, wisdom, uh, and everything all over these years, and yet suddenly is being told, yeah, thanks, time to check out now. We are, we're, we're moving down the line. And... That's a dangerous message. That's a dangerous message for society when, as you say, the wise elders of any society form, form a critical part of where we learn what's needed and what's next. If you're a wise elder listening to this, contact me straight away. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Katie. This has been such an insightful and loving conversation i really enjoyed it where can the audience find you yes yeah, so the audience can find me on facebook uh on my facebook page is wild art events and my instagram is wild art studio and my facebook page is wild art studio this will all be in the show notes, yes. so don't worry. We'll put the links in there. Okay. Do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, I hope somebody listening to this might feel inspired to hunt around the house for their pens or their pen pot and maybe grab a notebook or a bit of paper out of the computer tray, you know, and sit and maybe just... Gentle and put some music on and gaze out the window for a while and just gentle into a little bit of doodling. Find your doodle today. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you, Donna. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Katie Flowers on art therapy. The show notes of this episode are on my website, www.interested.blog. I love receiving your messages. They encourage me to continue bringing you helpful wellness content and to help others find the podcast too. If you like my work, hit subscribe and share it with a friend.